Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. If you see something, say something. But if it happens to you, you are the one that needs to say something. You can't wait for somebody else to see it and say something on your behalf because it won't have meaning. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. So the reading list for 2021, we have Napoleon Hill, a bunch of Napoleon Hill, all sorts of books from Think and Grow Rich to Positive Action Plan. We have Journey to Exelon by Carlos Castaneda. Uh, that was recommended to me. Felix Dennis is an incredible entrepreneur. That was a book that I read a long time ago. One of the world's greatest entrepreneurs shares his secrets, how to get rich. And I know it sounds like a really scammy title, but it's actually, it was really, really great and an engaging book. And then Trans Surfing, a practical course in creating your own reality, which was recommended to me by my mentor. A lot of, you know, being a successful person has to do with mind state. So I want to make sure that I prep my mind state to be in its most powerful form to be able, like the book said, to create the reality that I'd like to have. And I think that's possible for all of us. And so let me know what book you're thinking about reading this year, something that really moved you. Reach out on even my personal Instagram or social at Esprit Devore on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'd love to hear your book recommendations. Enjoy the next episode. Women in Tech podcast celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a place that I used to live to, Stephanie. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. This is going to be amazing. Okay, so kick it off. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I have had a bit of an, you know, 
unconventional career. I started off as a teacher. I was a teacher for five years and I lived all around the world doing that. I learned a bunch of languages along the way. When I came back, I became an entrepreneur and started a business because people kept asking me to do projects that I was good at. And I was like, why am I turning away perfectly good money when that is what I would like to do? So I did that and I was eventually recruited into the public sector. My undergraduate degree is in cognitive neuroscience and my master's degree is in economic management and policy, which is very heavy on data and analytics. So I was able to leverage that in the public sector into making sure that like taxes were collected appropriately and the budgeting and all of those sorts of boring routine things remained routine and boring. And after that, I was recruited into a local tech firm here in Fort Lauderdale. You've probably seen on LinkedIn and on the news that the Miami ecosystem is like booming for entrepreneurship. And I am working in a mid-sized startup called GovSpend. I am their first program manager of insight and analytics working in product strategy and I could not be happier. What about the culture of GovSpend attracted you to the company? What attracted me to the company was I met several people there. They were actually trying to sell the product to me, and I thought that the product was excellent. What you're able to do with it is you're able to search through about five terabytes worth of procurement information for government agencies. So you're able to see what government agency bought what from who at what price, and That was fascinating to me as a transparency tool. And also, I just kept asking more and more questions about it. And the people that I was speaking to made such an effort to try to get those answers for me. And they liked the questions that I was asking enough that they eventually recruited me on board to continue coming up with these ideas and and finding these insights that people in the government and in the public sector would find interesting. So the fact that they really seem to understand me and see my value as an individual, uh, that was very, very valuable to me. When would you say you first discovered the world of technology? When was that first spark? Were you a little girl? Was it not until, you know, became an adult? When was that? When I was living in Abu Dhabi, I was living in a town of about half a million people called Al Ain. It was not a small town, but it had no English language library. And so to me, as someone who liked to read, that was something that I wanted. And I've always thought if you can solve a problem yourself, go ahead and do it. And I created an online English language library that was crowdsourced. So basically, if you had books and you wanted to lend them out, You would tell me what books you had, and I would tag them appropriately. It was a very, very basic WordPress site. And you would meet people and exchange your books. And so it was a cross-cultural tool. It was a literacy tool because I had a lot of teenagers that used it. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people. And I ended up in the Gulf News and the College Times for that thing that I built. And um, I really enjoyed building and solving problems and getting people together. I have to ask, what brought you to Abu Dhabi? So I was a teacher and I enjoyed teaching, but I, I also took the advice that older people had given me of travel when you're young and also get paid to do what you like. And so I made a goal of living in five countries in five years and teaching along the way. And I managed to make it to, uh, I lived in South Korea for two years and Abu Dhabi for three because I I just enjoyed the lives that I, I had there. And then I came back to the U.S. 
And why did you pick those two places? I mean, there's so much I want to get into, but why did you pick those two places? Uh, That's where the job offers came from. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the language in either place. I learned the language. Well, I learned Korean. It's very, very rusty now because that's probably 10 years ago. I just wanted to understand different parts of the world. And living in Abu Dhabi, that region is very misunderstood. And it just seemed like, you know, people live there (laughs) on a perfectly fine basis time to time from, you know, from day to day. And that wasn't necessarily the narrative that I heard here. And I just thought I should go and figure that out for myself. And that's, you know, the data points that inform my point of view. And that's kind of just how I've lived my entire life. By the way, FYI, I've been studying my Spanish, utilizing a site called italki. Have you heard of italki before? I have not. It's amazing. You could hire a local. I have three Spanish lessons a week and you hire a local and you converse and it's like a really relaxed but effective way. And especially if you spoke fluently in the past, like I I did used to speak Spanish, it's my Spanish is just really rusty and my grammar is terrible. And so I keep evolving and I, I'm discovering how I, I'm probably somewhere in to like middle of intermediate now. It's very exciting to watch me evolve with every lesson. So I highly recommend italki. Very nice. Yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it. I can give taxi directions like the best of them and order in restaurants still. But, you know, other than that, I, I can't explain how to tie my shoe or <laughs> anything like that, but I can read it, write it, all that sort of stuff. I used to speak Italian fluently. Same thing. I didn't think I was fluent enough, so I was too embarrassed to speak it. And now I could barely say hello. So you mentioned that, you know, with Abu Dhabi, you crowdsourced information. But where did you even discover the concept of crowdsourcing? Like, where did you gain the confidence to start utilizing those abilities? Like, where did you begin? I figured if you don't ask, the answers already no. At the time, there were Yahoo groups all over, and there was a group with a few thousand called Aline Expats. And um, I had noticed that some people were offering the same thing. Now, to, to give some context, it's about an hour and a half drive from Dubai and the city of Abu Dhabi. And so what was going on was I was just, I was tired of spending as much money as I was on books. Right. <laughs> because they have these amazing, outstanding bookstores. You can look them up if you look at like the bookstores in the Dubai mall. Like They are just a reader's dream. But it adds up if you're buying, you know, multiple books on every trip. Right. I knew that I couldn't be the only person. And sure enough, I wasn't. And so as soon as I as soon as I made that, people really, really started participating. The one downside was there were people that would move away and just leave these piles of books at my door. And so I had these piles and piles and piles of books in basically in my bedroom, like just piled up against the wall. And I'm like, how am I going to organize these? Like, I'm not an actual library. (laughs) I don't have all any of this space. And so that got to be a problem. And I handed it off to somebody when I left. And I'm pretty sure that it, it didn't continue after I left. I love to ask this question. In your career, what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome? And how did you overcome it? For the context of this, which is is women in tech, I want to start out by noting that I was able to successfully overcome this, but it was an obstacle. When I was pregnant with my first child, I approached a colleague to collaborate on something, and he expressed skepticism about my ability to do it, about the timeline, about all of these different things, because I was pregnant. He made comments such as, you know, we should give your work to this person and that person, people we know are going to stick around, all of these different things. It was a man 
was not known for talking nicely. <laughs> so this wasn't totally unexpected. That's illegal is ultimately what it comes down to. You don't advise somebody else's boss that because they're pregnant and you personally think that that's a liability that you should take their work away. And so what I did was I thanked him for his concern, expressed to him that it was not his concern, that all of my projects were as they should be, and it was not his business. And then I went and I confided in a colleague and said, I can't believe this guy said this stuff to me. And we reported it to human resources. Well, actually, we reported it to our boss who did not handle it appropriately. And then we ended up going to human resources. It was a very difficult process. It was a a long process. I spent my entire pregnancy and beyond under investigation as well as other people. But ultimately, that boss was let go. The gentleman had to go to sensitivity training. They uncovered all of this other discriminatory behavior within the department which was then extinguished and they brought in someone else to lead that department. But I remember my name was the name that was in the papers and I alleged things and everything that was written about me wasn't really supportive, despite the fact that this was all proven. This gentleman didn't even deny that he said the stuff, but yet that was still how it was communicated about me. But at the end of the day, I was the one that kept my job. I was the one whose professional reputation was not in tatters, and I was the one who people continued to want to work with because they saw that I was the one that would stand up for what was right. And also, I have been saying things about this before it happened to me directly, and this is the very important takeaway. If you see something, say something, but if it happens to you, you are the one that needs to say something. You can't wait for somebody else to see it and say something on your behalf because it won't have meaning. That doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that it won't come with some sacrifice. And it's, I mean, uncomfortable is is an understatement. But ultimately, everybody that did the right thing moved forward with their lives in a positive way. It's interesting. So you shared your story with me before and you actually inspired me. I had a friend going through something similar who was not speaking up. And because you were an example to me of what strength looked like, I was able to communicate with her in a way that was both compassionate to how she felt and that she was afraid, but to say, you know, it's really just... You deserve to work in a comfortable, healthy work environment, and you don't need to be silent to that. Like you, you don't have to allow what was going on. And she took, I'm so proud of her. She spoke up, she took care of herself, and she is now in a healthy work environment. And so one, I think all moms are superheroes. I'm not a mom myself, and I just don't understand like Moms are superheroes, man. Like <laughs> juggling like all the things. One, I just I had to say that. see all of the kid paperwork and everything in the background. Amazing. I can't yeah. imagine. Like I, as you saw before I started the interview, I barely got a shower in. I can't imagine if I had kids and like a partner and that. And I'm like, I have nothing. I should be able to shower anytime, you know, with moms. It's like, I hear that your kids are like, sometimes hanging out in the shower because you have to keep looking. I can't even imagine that life. Superhero, like superhero. (laughs) Or I should say Wonder Woman. (laughs) I'm lucky that I have a partner that's very engaged and is very, very hands-on. I know that not everybody can say that, but (laughs) I can definitely say that about my husband. Like everywhere he goes with the kids, everybody, 
aside from the fact that they both really look like him, they're like, oh, he's such a good dad. You know, he takes care of all the, you know, never mind that I dressed them and, you know, got them out the door. But he does. He does. He does amazing, amazing things and works and is an active participant in society. And I don't know how he does that all, but having a partner and even through that experience, if I didn't have him as a source of strength and going home and having him say to me, listen, the shareholders or the taxpayers of whatever organization do not pay money for this guy to spend his time talking like that and taking those actions to colleagues. And that is what I had to keep reminding myself that I am not the problem. I am not the one rocking the boat. I didn't question anybody's ability to do their job or do anything illegal. That was a source of strength for me. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear that your friend and your colleague was able to find strength through you because it's really necessary for the outcome that you want. I'm so happy to hear that you passed that forward. To be really transparent just for a second before I ask you something I'm I'm really excited to ask you, when she told me what was going on, I was really shocked she was going to allow herself to stay in a situation like that. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> like, I will not allow someone I really care about to be in such an un- unhealthy situation. I will be your support. You can lean on me and we'll talk about how to do it in a way that is not dramatic and just is in a very matter of fact, like self-care way. But that's just really not okay, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just really not okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really excited to ask you because I think it's an interesting situation in our culture is you really elevate women. You elevate women, you champion women, you're collaborative. So often I hear, and I luckily I don't think I experienced, maybe I'm naive to it, but I hear stories about how women don't elevate women. So I would love to elevate the story of what you think about to elevate women. One of the people I most look up to is Badass Boz, who this, who's the CMO of Netflix. She's amazing. Ah. And she's all about having fierce confidence while still completely championing those around her and making space to brag about her fellow women. And I just, I think she's an incredible inspiration. And I love that about you that so often championing people. So what do you think about, what do you do? Like, what's your perspective? Like what led you to become that way? I think it's awesome. Thank you. I don't see how any of us do this alone. I don't see somebody else's success as detracting from me. I was lucky to have, I can say at one point in my career, have somebody who was, I would consider an advocate. And it wasn't until I was in my late twenties and that was life-changing for me in terms of my outlook because I had, I had never experienced that. And this was someone who, you know, if I discovered something was wrong, he wouldn't say we found things that were wrong. He would say, Stephanie found something that was wrong. And he was always just talking me up left, right, and center to the point that they thought that I was a flight risk to the organization because she's so great. You know, why would she stay here? Meanwhile, I was so happy to work for somebody who recognized me and challenged me and and talked me up that like I wasn't going to go anywhere. And I'm lucky to have that again at the moment, actually, which is you know part of the reason that I'm happy working where I am. Even beyond that, like just working in college and through my early 20s in restaurants, like you can't order the food, cook the food, clean the stuff. Like you can't. Every piece matters. And if any of those pieces don't function, the entire thing falls apart. There are no 
individuals that contribute everything. Everything exists in an ecosystem and every piece of that is deserving of respect and uplifting. I just really appreciate how you show up for the community. It's it's awesome. I think I mentioned this to you when we spoke. I'm really big into silent mentorship, where how do we show up silently? Like we're always talking about when it comes to mentorship, going out and finding a mentor. But I think there's a way to be a mentor without being a mentor. Like just how you live your day, day to day, you're silently mentoring people just by the intention you have and how you operate throughout the day. Does that make sense how I'm saying it? And Role I feel model. like, yeah, I guess so. Role model. And I think you do that. I think you're a silent mentor. You're a role model for people to see like an example of how to elevate and lift others up and create that amazing environment to succeed. How can people connect with you? They can connect with me. Most of my business connections happen on LinkedIn. My profile name is Stephanie Shimko Delgado. Shimko was my my maiden name. And the consulting firm that I had was Shimko Consulting because, you know, co-company, you know, very, <laughs> very original of me. Um, or I am on Facebook or um, you can find me, you know, where I work. I work for GovSpend and my email is estelgado at govspend.com. I'm happy to tell you about any of our products or what we're doing or the organization. And by the way, I was actually looking at some of our, our stats and over a third of the people that work for us are women. And most of them are in technical roles. And I should have looked this up before I got here, especially as someone that deals in data. I think that's a lot higher than a lot of places. And overall, they are, they are very diverse and inclusive. Two questions. One, can you spell your name for everybody to be able to contact you with ease? And also, can you let us know where, if somebody wants to intern or apply to work for GovSpend, like where they could do that? The way to spell my name is Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, Shimko, S-H-I-M-K-O, Delgado, D-E-L-G-A-D-O. That is my full name. And so if you look on LinkedIn, that's where you'll find me. It's not hyphen. It's Stephanie Shimko Delgado, three words. And you guys will include it in the show notes as well. So definitely be sure to look there too if you're driving a car and you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, be safe. Be safe. And I believe that the job postings are on the site. We're definitely getting into some machine learning and, and AI stuff because we've got five terabytes of data. How else are you going to get through it? And really, you know, using that to drive information to our customers. And oh, it's exciting. It's great. You want to spell out the company one more time? It's GovSpend, G-O-V, like government, G-O-V, spend, S-P-E-N-D dot com. Perfect. Okay. So a couple wrap up questions that I love to ask. One, what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten in your career? The best piece of advice that I've gotten is that you don't have to do everything. Oh, and it's totally. interesting going <laughs> from this giant, I worked for Broward County government. I'm a, I was an economist and I worked in economic development. I was doing business intelligence and, and data sort of things. 6,000 people and everybody's job is very, very specific. And now I've moved into an entrepreneurial space with a new program and it's, it's a company that's young and everybody's used to doing everything themselves. And I share that impulse and I have to, you know, I have to 
think about, no, there are people that do those things. You don't have to be a master of all trades. Figure out where you fit in here. Be, you know, self-sufficient because that's really what the drive comes from is self-sufficiency. But really, you need to accept the help of other people and, you know, the collaboration and you have to trust and you need to be able to trust all of your colleagues and, and trust that they have as much good intention as you do and driving things where they need to go. So you don't have to do everything. And what is your favorite tech tool? Could be app, website, hardware. Anyone that's met me will tell you that I talk about Power BI a lot. I like it for a couple of reasons. The first one is it's just a tool that allows me to do a lot of what I need to do before I need to start talking to like the the real hardcore technical people. It allows me to be self-sufficient. It allows me to troubleshoot. It allows me to explore. And above and beyond that, well, I'm a Power BI black belt also. I do have that certification. The user groups and the community groups are amazing because you know everybody has this thing. Anyone who programs or codes or writes formulas gets to a point where they're getting some message and you just, you know want to throw the computer into the canal behind your house because it's just not doing what you need it to do. And everybody goes to Google and they just Google like, you know, whatever error message you're getting. And nine times out of 10 is the user community that comes up for Power BI. And it, the answer is there because you're not the only person that's ever had this problem. You're not special, you know, in that way. I usually am just able to use the community to troubleshoot. And so I, I really like how you can ask questions there and nobody thinks, you know, you're stupid and, or, you know, is ever judgmental, like, why are you coming here and asking that? You know, everybody's just like, try this, try that, you know. And I always ask every guest, have you ever been on a podcast before? I've been on the radio, but this is my first podcast. I was on the radio for actually talking about oil prices (laughs) and commodity industry stuff. Uh, It was in St. Louis and it was probably six years ago. So it's, it's been a while since, <laughs> since I've been on a recorded interview, but it's nice to be back. <laughs> I love asking that. One of the things is I hope that this is a place that tons of other podcasts poach my guests. So women just can uh. to be elevated, <laughs> you know, and last question, a book that we all should read. I enjoy the book of five rings. While, you know, we're here talking about tech and data um, process is a big thing. People compare it to The Art of War, which you know I've also read, but it's very short and it's basically about samurai sword fighting, but you can apply it to business. And the one lesson that I, I always take from it is do nothing which is useless. And the context is, you know, like a young samurai swordsman will be flashy and, you know, flashes blade all around while a disciplined and seasoned samurai swordsman knows that every ounce of energy that you spend should be to strike a blow. And don't wear yourself out. Don't waste your energy. Don't waste your time. Do nothing which is useless. And I just think that is an amazing lesson. And there's so many other amazing lessons in the book. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up? I would assume that if people are listening to your show, they know the value that you also bring to the community and how much effort you spend to, you know, you find people like me. I know. I um, love it. And you elevate me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it's it's lovely to be to be thought of that way. And I really appreciate it. And if there are any other opportunities that that I can to lift people up or, you know, just connect or mentor or learn from them, because I'm certainly not done learning. 
I'm very, very open to all those sorts of things. And the way we met everyone is through the Women in Tech Facebook group, which you all know is womenintechvip.com takes you straight there. That way you're not like, which group is it? So womenintechvip.com takes you straight to the Facebook group. If you want to say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, all the places. And I guess I will see you guys in the next episode. This has been amazing. I'm so excited that this happened. Uh, I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Bye. Bye. Hello, this is Stephanie Shimko Delgado from GovSpend, Senior Program Manager of Insight and Analytics. GovSpend is building a better way for government, buyers, and sellers to connect based in Deerfield Beach, South Florida. And you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.